It's always good to uh, bring a friend in uh, to our church. And uh, Rick Bizet is a friend of mine that I have known for several years. And it's an interesting thing. Um, I met Rick the first time before he launched his church in the Little Rock area. We had met in Louisiana. Uh, Dino Rizzo, who was my roommate in Bible college, called me up and he said, hey, there's a couple of guys that are going to start some churches and uh, we're going to tell them everything we know, the good, the bad, and the ugly about church planting. And uh, we're going to help them get their churches started. They're sharp guys. You're going to want to come and talk to them and uh, invest in them. One of those guys was Rick Bizet. We had never met before until then. And, uh, you know, here I was telling them everything I knew about church planting, which was mostly a bunch of stuff not to do. And uh, he said, I am praying about Little Rock or Orlando. And I've got to pick a city, and I'm going to go plant a church in either Little Rock or Orlando, one of the two. I'm, I'm just not sure. And I said, man, you don't want to live in Little Rock. I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to go to Orlando. I just, it's real easy. I mean, Disney's there. There's a lot more options. The beach is closed. And he's like, man, I just feel this gnawing, though, that Little Rock. And I said, trust me, man. Take my word. You need to go. You're going to be successful in Orlando. And he's like, well, I really... At the end of it, he's like, man, I'm really feeling Little Rock. I'm like, this is the rest of your life, man. The rest of your life. Are you sure you want to go? And he's like, I'm going to Little Rock. I'm like, all right. And I was like, I don't know if he's supposed to go to Little Rock. He goes to Little Rock, and the church explodes. He's had the fastest growing church in America. Like last year, we were number 17 in the whole United States. They were number one in the nation two years ago. Number one, fastest growing church in the whole United States. I told you to go to Little Rock and you'd be successful. Yeah. So I confessed at their 10-year anniversary, I did a video for him and I said, hey, church in Little Rock, I tried to talk your pastor out of this. I begged him not to go there and I'm so glad he didn't listen. And uh, sometimes you got to go against what other people are saying. You just got that desire in your heart. You need to go do it. Uh, and he did it. Has had just an amazing church. We're multi-site, both of the churches. He's a great guy, great friend, funny a uh, pretty good golfer, and uh, I want you guys to put your hands together and welcome, yeah, I beat him on a couple holes, that's all I'll say, but he killed me today, but anyways, I want you guys to welcome Rick Bizet, our guest tonight, come on, let's welcome Rick. All right, all right, what's up? Turn to somebody and say, you can't sing and you have no rhythm at all. Come on, tell them that, the brother's in the house. Yeah. I do like the Ketterlins. I love Rob and Becca. Come on, give it up for these two. Come on, this couple. Becca loves God a lot. I got to say that uh, it was because of this church. Uh, that we decided to, to lead and, and start and plant a church. It was because I was sitting around the table with a lot of guys that had a lot of vision. Uh, if you're not a part of this church, uh, I want to tell you, if you're looking for a church, you certainly want to be a part of a church that has integrity. This place has integrity. I know them behind the scenes. Uh, this couple that is leading and even some of the staff here I know, aren't you glad that they've got integrity on the field every day around here? You don't want to take that for granted, I can tell you that. Also, though, they have values. Uh, you know, they have a lot of vision. I got to see all the vision. This, this place is like radical vision here. 
to reach this community and surrounding areas. Don't think that your church is not full of vision. But vision changes. Every time I talk to him, it's new vision. Uh, vision, it shifts around. But one thing that I have, have noticed that this church has never changed, and that is the values that they have. And I'm going to tell you, my dad taught me growing up, you dance with the partner that brought you. And uh, this church started with values. Uh, the DNA is a lot like Christ. And I want you to give the Lord a hand for the values that are driving this church. I do want to believe that. And, and though... Also, I also want to say that they have integrity, uh, but also authenticity. If you don't have integrity, then you don't want to be authentic, because <laughs> you'll get busted. <laughs> uh, you can Twitter that. But, but if, you do, if, you do have, if you do have integrity, you can be authentic. And, and when I'm around them, they're not trying to tell me how great things are going only. They're also letting me know what it is that I need to pray for, and what's going on, the challenges that they have. And I'm going to tell you, that just, that's not common anymore in, in the pulpits around America. So I do appreciate that. If you don't like these two, if you don't like the staff around here, something is freaking wrong with you. Can I have an amen on that? And uh, so, so, all right. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about it's your move. Let me just clearly state that God has done, He's done everything that He needs to do for you. Now, now I know that He's up to some things and he's, He certainly has a providential will uh, he has a moral will. He has a personal will for your life. You need to know what that is. You certainly don't want culture to tell you what's going on. Every time Jesus would speak, he would always say, I'll tell you the truth, and then he would lay it out. Culture will lie to you. Have you ever noticed that culture gets it wrong? Hey, when I was growing up, culture told me to wear real short shorts and tube socks. How many are glad those days are gone? <laughs> I'm talking about Reebok shoes and a fanny pack for crying out loud. If I see that guy at the mall... I'm going to call somebody and I'm going to slap him outside the face because that's a pedophile right there. Culture, <laughs> culture, culture lie. Culture lie. But Jesus tells the truth and he moves us forward. And let me just say, as a man, uh, you know, I want to be a man of God. But I make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. My wife, she makes mistakes too. I'll tell you about one mistake she made. When we started our church, my son... He was going around, he was four or five years of age. He was going around telling everybody that he was the pastor's son because he wanted to leverage that for extra cookies and things like that. And so it was working for him. Well, we didn't know about it. Then my wife found out about it, and that's not the way she rolls. She's a lot like Becca. I mean, she's just not going to do that. She's not going to allow that. So she went to him and she said, no, you don't go around telling people you're the pastor's son to leverage that. You just tell them you're Tanner. That's it. You're Tanner. That's all you do. You just tell them you're Tanner. You got it? Yes, ma'am. He knew he was busted. He knew that Mo was no longer on the field. So the next weekend, a lady went up to him and said, aren't you the pastor's son? He said, well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. <laughs> now, how many of you know that'll stunt church growth? That was spread around. But I heard go Tigers a while ago. I assume you didn't mean LSU. Uh, I'm big in the SEC. Please forgive me. I know you don't give a rip about the SEC. Any Tiger fans? Anybody? One, two Christians in a whole building. That's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, but Jackie Sherrill was a football coach. I thought I'd tell you guys about this. Uh, years ago, he was coaching one of the teams in SEC. I think it was Mississippi State. But he had a Cajun. I'm a Cajun. Boudreaux, Thibodeau, you never know what they're going to say. He had a Cajun on his team. 
This is a true story, the best that I can tell. One day, their team played against Monroe, a school in Monroe, Louisiana, and they got beat. The next weekend, they were going to play the Gators. After they got beat, Jackie just went psycho. He showed up in front of the team and uh, in the bucket. They were playing the Gators, so he pulled out an alligator. It was about three or four foot long. True story. And he said, none of you, the reason why we got beat by Monroe and the reason why we're going to get beat by the Gators is because you're not tough enough. I'm tougher than anybody on the team. He said, I'll prove it. And he reached in and he grabbed the alligator and he let the alligator grab a hold of his backside and he's walking and the alligator is swinging and blood is coming out. And every now and then he would take his finger and shove it into the eye of the gator and it would grab even more and blood, more blood was coming out. Then he rips it off his backside. He throws it in the bucket and he says, all right, which one of you is willing to do that? And Boudreaux in the back. He said, Coach, I'll do it, but you can't poke me in the eye. I love that story. If you don't like that story, you're stupid. And if you didn't get it, don't tell anybody. How many of you are married? How many of you are not married? Some of you, you don't want to be married. The problem is you're married. <laughs> That's the problem. I had one guy tells me, I've been married for 26 years re- recently. He said, I've been married for 26 years. It feels like three minutes underwater. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't going so good. So <laughs> I don't know how it's going for you. My, my first year in marriage, it wasn't all that good, man. I'm married to a godly woman. She's fine. She's beautiful. She's sweet. But that first year, I don't know what happened. And I was reading it. We were fighting all the time. I read the scripture, don't go to bed with anger in your heart. I was like having to stay up 30 days at a time. <laughs> Just trying to get this marriage together. And, uh, and then, then I started realizing, I need to grow. It, it seems like every time there's frustration in my life, it's because I'm, I'm not growing. If you're frustrated with your life right now, it's probably because you're staying the same. One person may say, well, I got 20 years experience doing this. Yeah, maybe, but maybe you have one year experience 20 times. Maybe you're in the cycle where you're just, you're just really repeating what, what's going on. And don't you want to grow? I, I'm sure you do. Uh, every now and then I'll be around somebody that grew steadily throughout their life. And I love to be around them. It doesn't even have to be somebody in their 50s and 60s and 70s or 80s. It could be a 20-year-old. But when you see somebody growing, you want to learn from them. Uh, Dino and I, some of you know him, we had a chance to go and meet Billy Graham. And uh, man, what an opportunity. I was speaking one day at chapel there, and they said, would you like to meet Dr. Billy Graham? And I said, yes. They said, well, you can't. He's sick. You can't go see him. It's like, what? They said, but what we will do is we'll offer you the opportunity at some point when he may feel better. So this went on for a long time. They said the same thing to Dino. And so we started organizing it. It's a long story, but we ended up there in North Carolina. But it still wasn't uh, assured that we were going to get to see him. And uh, so we're in a room at his office about five miles away from his home. And uh, at that time, he was about to die. It was a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And the secretary walked in, his assistant, or one of the assistants who... Uh, the leadership of the ministry, and she walked up and she said, I just got off the phone with Dr. Billy Graham, and you guys can go and see him. 
And immediately my heart started beating because it was like, man, I'm going to look into the eyes of the man who has spoken to more people about Jesus than anybody since Jesus rose from the dead. And we were driving up there, and I, my heart started beating fast. I was thinking, this is like meeting Paul. And Dino and I walked in, and there, there he was in his sitting room. And we walked over to him, and we just started trying to talk to him a little bit. And I, he still had a sense of humor. I said, do you have any advice on a marriage? I'm married. Do you have any tips? He said, yeah, do everything your wife tells you to do. And so I knew he had his, his deal. I knew he had his, his, you know, his mind, his wit about him. And then I said, hey, I just saw where you spoke to a million people and like 400,000 gave their heart to the Lord. How long did it take you to prepare a sermon? He said, it took me a lifetime to prepare every sermon. I said, wow, this is going to be good. At the very end, though, is when he freaked me out with what he said. I asked him if he would pray for us. And he said, yes. He said, but if you pray for me only. And I said, well, how do I pray for you? He said, pray that I finish the race. Well, he just told us that he was about to die. So I'm thinking, pray that you finish the race for crying out loud, you're Billy Graham. If you don't finish the race, we're all going down. But I prayed for him. After it was done, I said, what has been the key to your walk with God for years? And he said, he said others have asked me that. He said, I think the reason why I've stayed strong is because I always live with the end in mind. There's a scripture, it's not in your notes and it's not on PowerPoint, but in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship. Everybody say citizenship. citizenship. Look, Paul was writing to the people of Philippi when he wrote that. They were having some frustration, they were not growing. They were having some serious issues. And he wrote them and he said, hey... You're citizens of heaven for crying out loud. This guy was in prison when he wrote it. He was writing things while he was in prison like, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. How do you live this way with momentum and where you're growing and you're moving forward? Somehow, some way, You've got to live with the end in mind because the end is going to come one day when it's all said and done. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the stats show that we're all going to die sometime. I'm not trying to freak you out, but look it up. You can Google it. We're all going to die someday. Even if all you eat is organic, the only difference is you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. But I want to say that God wants, some of you, you've lost your edge. You haven't grown in a while. It might be because you're faking your relationship with God. Maybe because you're so stinking disappointed in yourself. It could be because you forgot about the power of His forgiveness. And how good He is at using people who do not deserve it. It could be because of anxiety in your marriage. You know, every man that is married, they all know one verse in the Bible. Wives submit to the husbands. We all know that one. But before it does say that, it says that a man ought to give his life up for his wife like Jesus gave his life up for you. And then it tells a man, I find it very interesting. It tells a man, love your wife like you love yourself. It doesn't tell a woman to love her husband like she loves herself. Because women don't like themselves. 
They always find something wrong. Come on, y'all know I'm telling the truth. They can stand in front of a mirror and be perfect. And they go, I don't like something. I don't like my hair. I don't, I don't like this. You know, I don't whatever. But a man can be ugly, overweight, hair on his back. What's up? We got all that going. All right. So, I don't know what's going on that's causing you to be discouraged. I don't know what's knocking you off track. But I do want to let you know it's your move. The Lord has done what He needs to do. Please stop waiting for Him to move. It's your move. So how do you get this going then? I think the first thing, uh, in order for you to know what to move, and, and we'll look in Hebrews. This is a text for, for this particular night. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, I'll read this pretty briefly. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, everybody say confidence. And, and that is what I'm going to talk about. Some of you, you've lost your swagger. You, you had more confidence when you were young than you do now. You had more confidence some other, at some other point than, than you have now. Life has beat you up pretty good. And it says, since, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, you get to walk into the holy place of God because of the blood that should give you confidence. You certainly don't deserve it on your own in there. And it's then it says, By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw, look at this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. I'm going to talk about that. In full assurance of faith. Then it says, Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Some of you, you are loaded down with guilt. It is messing you up. You're actually very good at even keeping score about the guilt that you have. Let's break this down. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let me tell you something right now. You have to have friends who give a rip about your life. You can't do it on your own. To build a relationship with God, if you mess up, you can ask Him to forgive you, and He's good at that, and He will. But the Bible says you ask Him to forgive you, and He will forgive you. But then it says, ask your friends to forgive you, and you'll be healed. That means you got to be a part of something that is moving forward. So let's talk about getting this confidence back. First thing I want to talk about, it, it is your move, but it's your move to have confidence in your approach to God. Now, everybody look here for a minute. I'm, I'm going to relate to some of you. Some of you, you won't even care about this. But I grew up in a church. Some of you did not grow up in a church. But I grew up in a church that was very legalistic, very mean. Everybody there, were, they, they all hated each other. They, they didn't want to be there. My Sunday school teacher was the meanest person, still to this day, the meanest person I've ever met, still to this day. She was mean. And she was my Sunday school teacher for every year. She always bumped it up. She started in first grade. The next year, she moved to the second grade. It was like, what? Then I was in the second grade. I wanted to flunk so I didn't have to be around her. And she would always say, Bezet, and her finger was like 30 foot long. <laughs> she said, Bezet, you're going to hell. Did you know that? Yes, ma'am. You told me last week. She said, don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. <laughs> she talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. 
But I, I remember there the whole time thinking, man, God hates me. He doesn't want me. Guys, I struggled with that for way too long. Here's what I've noticed. People that understand God's grace, they don't sin more so they can have more grace. People that really understand God's grace, they want to be closer to a God that loves them. They cannot believe that He has that kind of grace. So they change. They make a move. Some of you, you have no idea how good God is at throwing you a mulligan. At giving you another chance. And this is what the scripture is talking about. It's a conscience of guilt. If I were to ask you to write down the definitions between conviction and condemnation. Most people would not know the difference. They would write down the definition of conviction. And then they would write down the definition of condemnation. And they would look very similar. But they're not the same. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's when the Spirit of God shows you what you need to change. When your move is next and what you need to work on, condemnation, though, is from the devil and it comes behind that and it just leaves you there to die. Conviction always gives you hope. The Holy Spirit not only exposes what's weak in your life, but He gives you a way out because He wants to draw you to the Father. He doesn't leave you there to die. Condemnation leaves you there to die. Yesterday you yelled at your wife too loud. The Holy Spirit said, that's my daughter. Don't talk to her like that. Come on, ask her to forgive you. Let's work on this. We're going to fix this. Condemnation, though, actually says, see how you yell? You see the way you are? You think you're a Christian. You're not a Christian. There's nothing right about you. You always lose your temper. Everything you try to do, it just fails. You're a loser. Loser! And after years and years of that, we start believing it. You know what happens? What's indicative about that as much as anything else? Is that we start hating being around God. Then we get scared of God and not in a healthy way. My dog, I have a dog. Just my dog likes everybody in my family, but he doesn't like me. And when I go home, he, he runs under the couch. If I get too close to him, he turns upside down and pees across the room. <laughs> so I've never hit him. I've never hurt him. I could hook him up. I mean, whatever it is, if that dog loved me, I could hook that dog up. I know what he wants. I know what he likes. I could take care of him. But he freaks out around me. He has no idea how much I'm on his team. See, I grew up in the zone that said that God didn't want me on his team. So all of my moves were trying to figure out how to get away from God. How to get away from the church. I couldn't wait until I was 18 years old to run away. The reason why God is building this church the way it is. Because this is the type of church that's finding out that people want a relationship with God. But Christians have frustrated them for years. And here they can find out that they can be forgiven. Taken care of. They can grow. I don't care how long you've been stuck. You don't have to stay there. Can I have an amen today? Okay, here's my proof. Some of you, you haven't heard a voice from heaven. And I'm not talking about an audible. I've never heard God call an audible. I would love if I could. Some of you, you, you have. I never have. It's always hard for me to hear from God. I have to pray longer than anybody. It's very difficult. But I do know that God leads me. 
Some of you have had, you haven't had the leading of the Spirit of God in a long time. And it's driving you crazy. See, God could speak in an extremely loud voice if he wanted to. But he doesn't. My Bible says that he speaks in a still small voice. In the Old Testament, it wasn't in the thunder or it wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the wind. It was in the whisper. Why does God speak in a whisper? He's huge. He could just yell across the room. I'll tell you why. He speaks in a whisper because you've got to be in close proximity to hear a whisper. And that's where he wants you. He wants you near him. He doesn't want you far away. But look at the, the difference of somebody that makes a move towards him versus somebody who gives up and says there's no way he could ever accept me again. Two examples in the Bible. One betrayed, one denied. One was Peter, one was Judas. What they did wasn't that much different. When Jesus rose from the dead, you can look it up. He actually said to some ladies, he said, go get the disciples. I want to talk to them. And then he said, and this is really cool. He said, and get Peter too. Why did he say get Peter too? The reason why he said Peter is because Peter didn't think he was a follower anymore because he blew it. Like some of us. God knows when we feel like we've blown it, so he says, go get the disciples. Oh yeah, and get Peter. He got Peter, he's looking eye to eye to Peter. Peter felt like a loser, blew it. Couldn't even tell a little girl that he knew who Christ was. But after this moment, he could stand in front of thousands and say, he's a king of kings and a lord of lords, I'll tell you that. And the move was, he got close to Jesus and saw that Jesus was good at forgiving. Jesus even looked at him and he said, Peter, you love me? As he was close to them, the answer was going to be, yeah, I love you, but that's not what he said. Three times, he, ne he never said, yes, I love you. This is misquoted all the time by pastors. He said, do you love me, Peter? Peter's looking in, in Jesus' eyes. And he said, you know I love you. This is what happens. That's a bump up. It's one thing to worship God. I love you, God. I love you, God. But then when you realize God, he knows you love him. And you know that he knows that. That's a whole nother level. If Jesus would have rose from the dead and Judas would have not committed suicide. I am completely convinced that he would have said, hey ladies, go get the disciples. And get Peter. And please don't forget Judas. Some of you, you feel far away from God. And the deal is, God's not going to go and get you because He's done everything that He needs to have you. It's your move to move towards Him. And when I say God loves you, generally speaking, if you look at the generic side of it, and I was to say, hey, God loves you, God loves you, generally speaking, men and women, they'll go, you know what, I believe that's true. But if you look deeper, like pastors can sometimes, they'll say, well, I believe that He loves me, but there's one or two things that I know that He holds against me. And He could never get over that. And the Bible says when you live that way, 
and move that way, you are throwing away your confidence. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. And it actually says in one place, it's like crucifying him all over again. When you believe that he can't forgive everything that you have done. So number one, don't throw away your confidence. Number two, now quickly let me just tell you about this. One time Jesus was walking along the road and he saw these guys, these Pharisees. And uh, they're religious leaders. Religious leaders are different than the people that attend here. Religious leaders, Jesus didn't like them much. They grabbed this woman who was caught in adultery. Some of you have been busted in adultery before. That's a bad day. That's a, that's a tough day. These religious leaders busted this woman who was caught in adultery. They just wanted to destroy her. So they threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. Let's kill her. The, the Pharisees, the religious community... And Jesus had the exact same goal in mind. They wanted, both of them wanted her to sin no more. Same goal. But the religious community, the way they wanted to do it was to kill her. The way Jesus wanted to do it was to forgive her. Here's what happened. They said, we got to kill her. And Jesus said, all right, let's kill her. Let's kill her. Let's kill her. But let's do it this way. Let's let the one who's without sin hurl the first rock. And he wrote in the ground, a lot of people believed he was writing down compromises that were in their lives. And one by one, she's hurled over in a fetal position, knowing that it's over for her. The law says it's over. It's over for her. Some of you think it's over for you. And one by one, they're dropping their rocks. She was hearing this sound, trying to put it all together, as you can imagine. And they're all gone. She probably heard the footsteps of them walking away. Wondering who was left, and she hears the voice of Jesus. He said, woman, he said, where are your accusers now? She said, they're gone. And he said, and neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Look, as I've studied through the Word through the years, I'm no expert, I'm not a scholar, but as I've studied through the Word, I am totally convinced that when that woman got up, that she did not go back into that same lifestyle. Because once you've tasted full forgiveness, you don't want to go back. You change your move. If Jesus would have looked at her and said, Woman, how dare you commit adultery? You're a loser. I could smell you from here. And get out of here and go and sin no more. I'm convinced if he would have said it that way, she would have went right back into her life of compromise. So... This is where we lose our dreams. It's your move to dream dreams again. Would you please write that down? Dream dreams. If you are married or if you're not, if you're a single person, a young person, or an older person, if you got anybody on the planet that knows you, knows your first name and your last name, the way you think, what motivates you, your weaknesses, I'm going to tell you one other thing they probably know about you. They know if you're dreaming dreams. Joseph, he was a dreamer. And the Bible says he saw his brother coming, or all of his brothers saw Joseph coming from a long ways off. And they looked at each other and they said, look, the dreamer is coming. You can tell from a long ways away if somebody's dreaming dreams. When is the last time you dreamt a dream for God? What are you dreaming?
dreaming about? I always joke around when I talk about dreams that my wife, the way she drives a car, it's really weird because she doesn't use the mirrors. If I get in her car, her mirror, her rearview mirror, I can see my knees in it. And it's like, babe, you ought to use the mirrors. They're, they're all messed up. So, babe, you ought to use the mirrors. They'll help you drive. Like, Come on, they're part of the car. It'll help you. She said, I don't need those. I said, well, yeah, you need them. They'll help. She goes, I don't need them. I'm not driving that way. I'm driving that way. That's a bad driving strategy. <laughs> However, that's a great kingdom strategy. Some of you, your best vision is behind you. Back in the day when you had it all together, that that was the best move you had. Or back in the day when you lost it all. The Bible says if that's your move, the Bible says if you're looking back, you're not going to fit very well into the kingdom of God. The Bible says it's just not going to work for you. This is what God would want, for you to dream dreams. But the heroes of the faith, when they would lose their dreams, they would create monumental, a monumental mess. Abraham was told by God, he said, you're going to, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have children. And then his wife kept getting older and older. One day she's 100 years of age. And then the, the Lord spoke to him and said, Hey, you're going to go to Babies or Us. It's time. And he's looking over at her like, What are you talking about? But 14 years before that, he gave up on the dream. He said, Forget it. This is not working. So he went and slept with Hagar. This is where he had Ishmael. Every time you have to take your shoes off the airport, it's related to that monumental mess right there. I'm going to tell you, you can tell when somebody's dreaming a dream. Best story in the Bible. You can look it up later. It's in Mark chapter 10. There's this dude. His name is Blind Bartimaeus. Say Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Okay, this is the dude's name. Blind Bartimaeus is what we call him. It's probably his nickname then. One day he hears that Jesus is walking towards him. And I'm talking about dreaming dreams. He hears Jesus is coming over. And, and so all of a sudden he starts saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped went over to him. And listened to the audacity that Jesus had. Who's supposed to be God. Walks over to him and says, What do you want? Everybody around is probably going, duh, he's blind. He wants to see, bro. It's blind Bartimaeus. His name, isn't that right? Tell him it's his name, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus knew he was blind. Then why did he say, what do you want me to do for you? I'll tell you why. Because the, love, the Lord loves he loves it. He loves to hear a man's dream. Talk to your God about your dream. Dream dreams for God. When we get to heaven someday, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Come on. When we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's there, who's not there, and we're going to be surprised we there. And then we look around and we think, man, what's going on? When you see how big God is, I'm convinced. When we see the enormity of God, we're going to think back to these days and we're going to get ticked off. Because we're going to think, why didn't I go for it more? Why didn't I dream dreams? Fight for things. Why did I bail out so quick? Why didn't I live life? I live life with minutiae prayers. 
Like, God, give me a good parking spot type prayer. And God is going, I got a lot more than that. But we don't live this way. Number three, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to others. Now, I wish I had time to talk about this one because I have some hilarious stories about this subject. But I'm just going to say this and then I'm going to move on because what I want to talk about now. Young people, anybody under 25 years of age, let me just tell you right now, stop living your life intimidated by other people. The Bible says, look, it's amazing how many young people, they can't walk into a room, if they hear laughter, they think it's about them. They won't apply for jobs because they're afraid they won't get it. Nowadays, guys ask girls out on a date for texting. They break up texting because they have no confidence to talk. Do you know how much intimidation? The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, this church, y'all have donuts out there for, on Sunday mornings? Y'all have donuts? If you don't know what to say to a girl and you want to go out with this godly woman, just go over to her and say, you want a donut? I mean, you don't have to be that creative. <laughs> but stop being intimidated. Come on, are y'all out there? All right, number four, this is what I really want to say. I'm going to tell a little bit of my testimony. This is sort of my life message in some of this. It's your move to be real, to be authentic. To be sincere in your approach to God. I'm going to tell you right now, I learned this the hard way. Remember the church that I told you about that we grew up in? When you're around a bunch of mean people who don't really care about you. Who judge you. Who make up stuff about you. Who laugh at you when you make mistakes. You become extremely plastic. My mom and dad had the worst marriage I've ever seen in my life. I remember being in my room, hearing the wars and the rumors of wars out there. I remember putting a pillow over my head thinking, man, I wish my mom and dad wouldn't fight so much. And then we would go to church. And we would all give each other the eye right before we'd walk in. Like, hey, we're going in this place. Let's act like we got it together. And then we did. What does that build? It, it, it builds a false relationship with God and everybody else. In that world, when you're going through a difficult time, the last thing you want is for the church to know. But in the authentic world, it's the first phone call you make. I've been talking to these staff around here. They've been picking me up. There's nobody going to love the people that are around here more than them. They're going to be confidants. They're going to keep, if, if somebody opens up, they're going to keep it quiet. People in a church, in a healthy church like that, if they're going through a difficult time, it's just like, man, if I can just get to the church, I'm going to make it. But some of you, you don't have one person who knows the truth of what's really going on in your life. And it is killing you. I gave my heart to the Lord. I was called into the ministry. And this thing was going well. It was really doing pretty good. Then, then I got married. My wife and I were fighting all the time. I was in the ministry. I didn't tell anybody. Like, I can't tell anybody. I'm fighting crazy. If anybody knows about this, we're gone. It's over. In Bible school, they even taught us as pastors, don't get close to people. 
There's a new move now where we're not living alone, but for years we did. So my wife and I were fighting one day. I had to speak to this church, 6,000 people. I was preparing a sermon and Michelle was doing something. I walked out and we got into an argument. She said something that really ticked me off. And I said, Michelle, shut up. Now. Except I said it a lot louder. And it felt good. If you're married, I highly recommend you never tell your wife that. So I went back into my office. I had to prepare, man. I, was, I had to preach a sermon that week. I was a man of God. So I went and I was praying. I felt distant from the Lord. And I knew I needed to ask her to forgive me. So I walked back in there and my wife was just trembling, man. Her bottom lip quivering. This precious, beautiful woman. I went over to her. I said, babe, I, I didn't know I'd talk to you. I don't know what's going on, man. I'm sorry. I, what's, what, what's wrong with us? Will you forgive me? She said, yes. And then we made out. I mean, made up. Both. <laughs> I was young. First year. Come on. Women have weddings, men get married. <laughs> okay. So anyway. So I went into my office and I asked the Lord to forgive me too. And here's, here's where it all changed for me. This is, this is not a story you can relate to directly, but indirectly, it'll change the way you move. I went in my office and I felt the Lord telling me that He forgave me. And it was a cool moment, a cool moment. But then I felt the Lord tell me, He said, look, I want you to put your sermon down. And when you speak this weekend to these 6,000 people, I want you to tell them what you told your wife. I remember thinking, God, I can't do that. They taught us in Bible school. Clearly, you haven't been to Bible school. <laughs> Clearly. So I decided not to do it. So I went. I was preaching that weekend, and it wasn't going very well. I can certain, certainly let you know that. It was so bad that I actually asked everybody, I said, this isn't going so well, is it? And simultaneously, everyone said, no, it's not. So I put my notes up, and I looked at everybody, and I pictured that it was over for me at this moment. You relate this to your world. And I said, guys, the reason why it's not going well, at my home, man, my wife and I got into an argument today. I said something to her I shouldn't have said. I told her to shut up. I said it loud. At that moment, when I said that, I thought it was over. Actually, everything started for me that day. I still was doing the plastic thing. There was this girl that we were counseling. Over a hundred hours, my wife and I were trying to pour into her. And she wasn't really changing. And then finally, I looked at her. And I said, look, I don't think you're depressed because this was her issue. I said, to me, it seems like you just want to hang out with us. I don't even think you're depressed. 
And she said, oh, really? And Elisa drove home and blew her brains out. I killed that girl. I know it was because of me. And I hate the story. But the supplement, the negativity of it all, it hit me that I was dead on the inside because of it. And then it hit me, and this is how it relates to you. I realized that no one knew that I was totally dead on the inside because I knew how to go to church. No one knew that I had quit. No one knew that I was faking it, and it hit me. I have the ability to fake my relationship with God, and I'm good at it. That is not a good report. And then it hit me, man, if I don't understand, if I don't change and get real, have some people that can check on me, I'm not going to make it. As a man, we can't live like that. And this is why the Lord is saying, hey, if you want to know how to get close to me, you got to do it with real heart. The book of Acts, we all talk about the power of God, the spirit of God. Everybody was spirit filled. They were refilled. The power of God, everything was moving. Yes. Crave it, get it, go for it. But the Bible says that they ate together house to house with glad and sincere hearts. They were being real with one another. Look, the days that we live in right now, we need to make a move to have some friends who can check the pulse on how we're doing. Can I have an amen? amen? Last thing I'm talking about and we're out of here. It's your move to encourage others as well. It says don't give up the habit of meeting together, but spur one another on. There was a man in our church. I'm just going to, this is for free. It was a, this is all for free. <laughs> it was a man in our church. It was a man in our church. He came up to me. It wasn't, it wasn't even five days ago. And he said, Bezet, he said, I was a ball and chain on this church. I said, a ball and chain? He said, yeah, every time you would talk about vision, I would resist. Every time you would challenge us to worship God, I was a ball and chain. If the vision was building something and giving us something, I was a ball and chain. So no matter what it was, if it was you were teaching on tithing, I was a ball and chain. If you said, everybody close your eyes and reach up to the heavens, I did the opposite. I was a ball and chain. He said, and then it hit me. I'm trying to hold back the one thing on this planet that I can't hold back. And it's the one thing that if I would be a part of it, it could be bigger than me and it could, we could do things that I can't do alone. The biggest and the best thing in my life is what I'm holding back. He described to me several things. One of the things was he said, like giving, man, I, I, I don't hesitate. I'm not a ball and chain. I tithe and I give offerings. I give more than that. If you, get, if you got involved in small groups, I hate small groups. He goes, I hate small groups. He said, I'm in a small group. He said, it was, you told us, Rick, that there were weird groups out there. And if I found a real weird group to crawfish out of it, he said, I found three of them. I crawfished out of every one of them. 
He said, but then I found one I liked. I'm not a ball and chain here anymore. And I just wanted you to know. He said, now I'm encouraging one another. I got some friends, bro. All right. I'm going to close this thing down with a personal story that wrecked my world. I think it could help you. I know that it helped me. What God is working on on planet Earth more than anything else is souls. It's what He's up to. It's His providential will. Whether you believe it or not, He's coming back. Whether you believe it or not, people are going to get right with God in droves. I mean, He's going to pour out His Spirit. A lot of things are going to change. There's a lot of things that look like we're losing right now, but read the end of the book. It also talks about how it seasons when we're losing. But then it talks about the victory. Are y'all out there? Okay. So what he's working on is souls. This is why the Spirit of God says, don't you try to do life alone. Be a part of my body. My daughter, when she was four years of age, she might, might have been five, but I think she was four because my son Tanner was two. And she saw a Hallmark movie where these 12-year-old kids were running away from home because it was cool. She, at four years of age, my daughter is very aggressive in personality. She's strong-willed. Her name is Haley, and this girl, she's aggressive. So she decided she was going to run away from home. This is a true story, exactly how it went. She, but she talked her two-year-old brother to go with her. In the middle of the night, two in the morning... So she packed the wagon. We didn't even know. The night before, the day before, packed the wagon, put stuff in there for Tanner. She had diapers and stuff in there for Tanner. She had stuff for her, dolls and Skittles and all this stuff. Middle of the night, just in strong will alone, just strong will alone, she woke up 2 a.m. on the dot. Ding, ding. She got out of the bed. She went and shook Tanner. Tanner, it's time to run away. We're going to have a blast. It's going to be good. Tanner goes, I'm too little. And she said, I don't care, let's go. No, you just go on without me. She said, whatever. And she just left him there and she went, grabbed the wagon. We lived on a cul-de-sac. She left that cul-de-sac with the wagon. Walked out of her house, went down to the end of our street. Took a right, went down the end of that street. Took another right, went down the end of that street. Took a left, went down the end of that street. Now she's at a four-lane highway. She took a left on the four-lane highway and went another mile down the road. I'm sleeping my butt off. A lady pulls over and says, young lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm running away from home. She said, you need to get in the car, I'm going to take you home. Oh, no, ma'am, I'm not allowed to ride in the car with strangers. (laughs) But you're allowed to run away from home at 2 in the morning? Okay, now it's 3 in the morning. She goes, all right. Well, then you go home and I'll follow you home. My daughter walked all the way home. This lady followed right behind her. She would take a few steps and hug her doll, eat a Skittle. (laughs) Move again. And this lady is like, what? Where are we going? Now it's like 3.30. Knock on the door. Could have been 4. I mean, it was early. And I heard a knock. I said, what is that? I said, Michelle, did you hear that? Yeah, I think I heard that. 
What do you think it was? I don't know what it was. And we heard it again. Shouts a knock at the door. Go see who it is. <laughs> Could happen. And she goes, why don't we go together? So we went down and we opened the door and there's my daughter with this lady. And I said, what is going on? I've never seen this lady. And they told me the story that I just told you. I bring my daughter in and we corrected her. We dealt with that for a long time. Here's where I want to wrap it up. This is it. I'm done. If my daughter would have not returned, I would still be living in that cul-de-sac. I would have never moved to Arkansas. Every time the phone would ring, I would run to the phone and dive at the phone and answer it. Every email I'd be studying to see anything that's going on, any sign, any, anybody who would say. And I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find her. Because I would care a lot about my daughter coming home. I'll tell you right now, I was driving around this city, went all the way to Minneapolis. looking at future campuses that this place has, talking to the staff about decisions for Christ. If you want to know what God is doing on planet Earth, He's aiming at souls. And no matter what you do and what you accomplish in your life, there is nothing that is more addicting than finding those lost little girls and boys and dads and grandfathers because I'm going to tell you, that's who he picks giving favor to. And that's his friends. And the favor of God is on this church. And it's your move. This church is on the move. If this is not your church, and you can go to your church, but talk to your pastor. Talk to one of the people on staff and just say, hey, I want to make a difference in my life. I want to spur one another on. I want my life to count. And you'll never regret it. Thus saith the Lord. Let's bow our heads, no one looking around. All right, there's a lot of things I could do right now, but I just want to pray. If you're here right now, I'm not going to point you out. You can make a private decision in your chair. You will have to go public. That's a water baptism. That's the best place to do it, to go public. When you make a decision for God, that's the first place to go public. There's other ways as well. But right now in the privacy of your chair, just do a search. Here it is. Let's not be, let's not fake it. Let's be authentic. Come on. I promise you I won't judge you. I'll give you my word on that. If you're here right now and you cannot say with confidence, like the word that we talked about, that you are right with God. Maybe you've never been. Maybe you used to be and you lost. Maybe you're just running. Maybe you're exhausted. I don't know. But if you're not right with God and no one looking around, let's be respectful. But if you're not right with God, then quickly raise your hands. Come on, all around this place. I want Him. I want Him. I want Him. I want Him. Okay. I see hands everywhere. And that is so cool. Let me just pray. Lord, Spirit of God, I thank You for this church. Thank you, Lord God, that the men that are here will not be a ball and chain to the vision of this church if this is their church. 
Let it be said, let it be done, not only here, but other churches if they are part of a different church. But Lord, what's way more important than that is decisions for you. And Lord, they had the guts. They raised their hands without hesitation. I want Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if they are discouraged and defeated and depressed, I pray that they'll be healed in Jesus' name. Prop them up. Give them hope. Show them what's up. Let it be their move, Lord. I thank you that you've made some mighty moves to be with us. And what I'm most thankful for is your scripture says that you will move again. But only when we move. And when we draw to you, you draw closer to us. Forgive them of their sins. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for your word and your blood and your name. Lord, I pray there won't be one man that goes home in this room at the sound of my voice that doesn't experience an incredible, forgiving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot for letting me speak to you. God bless you.